Welcome back, Title Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. I want to thank you so much for listening to me today. And uh, it is a uh, an honor that I do not take lightly. There are many shows out there, many podcasts, many different things you could be doing, and you chose to listen to me. But I also want to commend you, not for listening to me, but because of the content of this show, um, not just not just today's episode, but the topics that we cover. And I say we because it's you and I covering it. And even though I can't hear you, but you do communicate with me through email or what have you. But you are at the top of your game because if you are putting, there's no fluff in this show. It's all technical things. There's nothing funny about it. There's it. So you are at the top of your game. And I'm very, very confident that anyone that listens to this show is at the top of the game in all aspects of their life and their farm and their uh, ranch or whatever operation that they have because you are looking to learn and I commend you for that because life is not only richer and I don't mean richer financially I mean richer with the quality of life when you understand and learn things and also allows your business to be more fruitful and be more successful through education and it's uh and I just want to uh, thank you so much for being that those type of people that want to learn because as an educator there's nothing worse than talking to a group of people who do not want to learn right they're falling asleep like like if you have a real uh, a real boring minister in church and the congregation is sleeping <laughs> but uh but that is not the case with you guys and i thank you for that and i think it's great and uh i just think it's very wise on your part to want to be so efficient in every part of your business and your life and i also want to give a shout out a cat swamp road shout out to mr derek schmucker and he is from Hutchinson, Kansas, or I think outside the Hutchinson, Kansas area. He's a young man, 22 years old, and he works on a farm, and he also is raising some of his own cattle. So that is that is wonderful, and he listens to the Idle Chatter podcast, and he, uh, I just want to thank you, Mr. Schmucker, for the uh, beautiful letter that you wrote to me and i just want you to know that it's a blessing to have you as part of of the hot rod farmer family but what also what derek did was that he corrected me and i think that's fantastic because we learn from each other i learn from you and hopefully god willing you learn from me but on my show that i did a week or two ago about cold starting an engine i made a tongue-in-cheek comment saying well thank god there's no there's no fuel injected chainsaws and derek corrected me and i and i was so excited to find out that there is a fuel injected chainsaw believe it or not and it is the steel 500i and derek told me that and it's a professional chainsaw i looked it up it's about fourteen fifteen hundred dollars and it's i guess it's more like a logging type of saw but it is electronically fuel injected so derek telling me that got the wheels turning in my head excuse me and i said to myself geez i wonder how they're doing that so there was a short video on it that i watched and it's still because i was wondering how they got the fuel into it during i'm going to say during crank during when you're pulling the rope right which is actually is crank but it's a rope start and it still has a primer button so i thought that was very very interesting that it still has the primer button but has electronic injection so there's a little ecu in there from what i could see there's got to be electric fuel pump and i am going to look into that more because i'm very very intrigued by that so i want to thank you derek for telling me that and um very intrigued by the efi system now as an aside not to go off too much on a tangent that on any electronic fuel injection system there's three ways to determine load the one way is through what's called a map sensor which looks at engine vacuum which is manifold absolute pressure the other way is through a mass airflow sensor which is abbreviated maf which looks at the mass of the incoming air and the third way is what's called alpha n alpha hyphen n and that just looks at throttle angle and rpm and a lot of race engines are set up to run an alpha n specifically drag race engines and uh because they don't have much of a vacuum signal because of the camshaft being so big and lots of times also it's very hard to package a mass airflow sensor in those applications 
So uh, I'm assuming that the steel 500i is alpha n, which would be throttle angle and RPM input to determine the fuel curve. But I'm going to look into that, and I also am going to so I'm going to I'm going to reach out to steel, and I don't know how far I'm going to get, but I'm going to reach out to steel and I'm going to ask them to to hook me up with someone or give me some literature what have you about how that efi system works and i'm very like i said i'm very intrigued by it and i thank derek for telling me about that and correcting me so uh, it's quite quite interesting and i was also i'm also surprised that the magneto it must have a pretty heavy duty magneto because it's got to make enough electricity to charge the coil and fire the spark plug and since it's a two-stroke, it's going to be constantly firing, you know, not like a four-stroke where it's going to be once every 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 four cycles. It's going to be firing every every other cycle or every cycle. So, uh, and if I said that correctly, <laughs> I have to get a little bit of thought. But anyway, uh, and to have enough energy from the magneto to fire the coil, run the electric fuel pump because it has to have an electric fuel pump to keep constant fuel pressure and to pulse the injector and to run the ecu it's going to be a little ecu and there's some kind of control unit that's going to um, have the drivers in to open and close the injector so and that has to usually with electronics like that has to be a pretty clean signal so i'm very very interested in that and i thank derek for that and i thank him for a pin in my map in hutch near hutchinson i put it just outside hutchinson I don't know if he's east, north, south, or west of there, but Hutchinson, Kansas. And so welcome aboard to the Hot Rod Farmer family. But on the same note, I just want to give you an update. I, as, as you know, I may have told you last week, I got together with Sirius XM Rural Radio. I went down to Virginia and met with them. And I, I received permission to be able to post my radio show in its entirety so it's going to be with the commercial spots it's a 30 minute show and there's 24 minutes of content which is farm machinery digest radio and as i've said many times before it is the same basic format as idle chatter but it's not the same subject matter so if you listen to idle chatter today and we're talking about egr valves you're not going to get that same thing on the show so i could that i could post the full episodes of my radio show and i'm working with my web person susan moore from moore gooding down in georgia and i and she thinks she's going to put a tab on my website and then the tab on my website will you'll click on that and it'll bring you to the radio shows as you would um and that should also make the show available in theory in theory if so if you listen on some other platform if you listen title chatter and some other platform you should be able to get the radio show also so i'm excited about that and for the simple reason being is a lot of people i mean not a million people i'm not gonna lie to you but a number of people have contacted me and said hey you know i missed the show or i want to listen to the show again because you spoke about something and i i, I really want to be able to hear it again and right now that the show disappears it's saturday and sunday and then it goes into oblivion so hope i'm excited about being able to bring that education to the audience and also on the radio show i'm going to be and now you'll be exposed to that without a sirius xm subscription and on demand whenever you want to listen to it is that um i'm bringing you news a new segment i would say to farm machinery digest radio and i'm only going to do probably 12 of them a year and what I, it's going to be called getting to know and i'm going to uh, connect with some companies for instance like steel I'm hopefully connect with steel and then have uh, their technical representative it has to be a technical person i'm not going to be dealing with sales people just say, oh this is best in class buy it and shut up i don't want that it's got to be a technical person i'm going to hit them with hard technical questions well i don't want the questions i want i want i want to bring you to meat and potatoes of everything so um that segment will be called getting to know and i would talk to a company and they would be recorded for the radio show and thus you'd be able to hear it as a podcast so right now i have lined up massey ferguson with their new 8s tractor which i'm really excited about you could do a google search for massey ferguson 8s and then i have um a company called aws air bar which which makes this really neat air bar for um for a combine to uh, to blow the 
the small grains back into the header so the auger could pick it up and not go onto the onto the field onto the ground let me see who else i have oh i'm talking to uh, volvo penta because volvo penta engines uh, people know them as marine engines but they're breaking into agricultural engines i'm talking to caterpillar about the cat command system and what the cat command system it's a hybrid in essence um it's not an autonomous it's actually like a like a military drone is flown so you sit inside a building and you um and you operate the piece of equipment that way so i'm i have them lined up and uh, i have a couple more people i can't remember right now so i'm very excited about that i'll let you know when that is up and running hopefully we'll get that up and running as far as the radio show before thanksgiving so that is it and let me see what else i wanted to tell you and uh that basically uh i don't i can't think of anything else that i wanted to bring you up to date on other than we had five inches of rain the other day so no frost here yet on cat swamp road so i think this week they're predicting 33 34 and maybe some snow showers but that's not cold enough really to make a frost so everything the cover crop is growing beautifully and hopefully god willing everything is going well in your life and in your operation okay so now excuse me what are we going to be talking about today well on today's show what i'm going to do i'm going to break out a little bit and it's going to be all theory it's not going to be um you know hey this is how you adjust the car bridges how you adjust valves type of deal and what i'm going to be introducing to you something that on the farm or ranch or or even just driving operating a piece of equipment operating a tractor operating a car that you interface with all of the time and you may have known it but you may not have known it and what the discussion today is going to be is about fluid dynamics and you can say why do you want to discuss that well i think it's important for you on the farm to understand fluid dynamics because as i said you work with it you work with it with your equipment you work with it with a hydraulic system you work with it with a braking system you work with a a, a fuel delivery system you work with it with a grain bin uh if you have a, if you have a dairy cows or any type of livestock and you have a ventilation system through the in the barn you're going to be working with fluid dynamics so this space is so sit back and relax have open ears have open ears and open heart is we're not going to go too too much into detail but i want to expose it to you because if you understand fluid dynamics to the level that hopefully you will be able to after this episode is done it's going to help you to diagnose things and it may be a heating system it may be a a, a, a in a milking parlor in a dairy barn it may be something in your combine but the the basics of fluid dynamics are all found throughout the farm and it's feel that's something that you should really start to be exposed to so without any further ado let's get into fluid dynamics all right so now fluid dynamics and first we have to understand the word fluid and fluid means it could be a liquid or a gas and what i mean by gasoline is not gasoline by the gases i don't mean gasoline gaseous something that's in a rarefied form in a rarefied state and so that excuse me that is what fluid what we mean by fluid i'm just going to clear my throat for a second excuse me okay i'm back this throat needs some little fluid dynamics work here so it is the flow of liquids or gases now fluid dynamics is what they call in engineering a sub-discipline of fluid mechanics now within the within the engineering community use the word discipline and that doesn't mean discipline like you know you were bad in school and the principal is going to discipline you when you were a kid it's an area of study so it's a sub area of study all right under the main title of fluid mechanics so arguably let's say if you were an agronomist and you're 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 a degreed agronomist but you you emphasize your area of study is growing corn or your area of study is nutrient uptake in uh in pulse crops so that would be considered a sub discipline so it's within the banner of fluid mechanics which is the whole umbrella but fluid dynamics is a subcategory under that and as i said it has to deal with the flow of liquids and gases 
So now keep that in mind because air is considered a gas, and we'll get into that. So now there are other sub-disciplines of fluid mechanics, and they are aerodynamics, right, which makes an airplane fly, or aerodynamics also comes into play with, uh, with vehicles, with cars, trucks, trains, all right, aerodynamics. And the thing basically also is that a lot of people don't realize is that, <clears throat> excuse me, aerodynamics come into, come into play with other things, for instance, like a weather vane. So if you have a weather vane on your farm, or you have a weather station, for instance, like I have a, uh, a little, what is it called, Davis Instruments a Vantage View weather station. So that has a, a weather vane on the top and it has a little wind speed indicator. So that comes into play with aerodynamics. So if we're monitoring wind speed, if you have some sort of data acquisition on your farm, let's say like Climate Field View or Farmer's Edge and some other brands, so many of them today, uh, is that they're giving you field data. And so if anything that has to do with air movement is going to be under aerodynamics. So it's not just an airplane or a rocket that aerodynamics comes into play. And uh, we will build upon that a little bit more. And you know, just as an aside to that, a lot of people don't realize, but a lot of buildings and bridges have an influence of aerodynamics on it because if they could get the air to go across the bridge or the building easier than when there's bad weather conditions high wind storms and what have you that the building or the bridge will not be impacted as much as it would be if it was unaerodynamic so you could think of it as like a semi versus a uh, a corvette right a semi going down the road is going to be more affected because it has more area than than a corvette so that's a a study of aerodynamics goes uh goes way beyond flying through the skies and there's another sub-discipline which is called hydrodynamics and you would tend to think hydrodynamics is something that you with water right but what hydrodynamics is a branch of physics that deals with the motion of fluids and the forces acting on solid bodies immersed in fluids and in mo- and in motion relative to them. So that's hey, that's an engineering definition. So the hydrodynamics is the motion of fluids and the forces acting on a, on a body that is immersed in them. So anything that is immersed in a fluid and is going to be under the and and the fluid is acting upon it is going to be hydrodynamics so uh let me think if i could uh, think of something practical so hey a backflow valve on for your sprayer right we feel putting water into the sprayer a, a, a backflow valve bows to the uh, to the theory of hydrodynamics because you have a little ball in there if you have a check valve right that's in the fluid and it doesn't allow the fluid to go back the other way so the thing is that um, there's many different examples of hydrodynamics but now when we're talking about fluid dynamics again which is air and gases and that we have to realize that there are four there are one two three four five different types of flow so the first thing is what's called a steady flow and what steady flow is is that its velocity is constant at any point so what i'm going to do is to explain this to you in simplistic terms so so that it doesn't get too confusing without having any visuals is that you could think of a stream so if you think of a stream think of a river or a stream a body of moving water i believe in texas they call that live water right but uh moving water but i may be wrong right so velocity is so steady flow is the velocity is constant at any point so let's say arguably like years ago i remember i was on keokuk iowa standing on the banks of the mississippi and the river was flowing and you know it wasn't a violent flow but you could see the strength and the depth of the river just flowing down south and if you were to go in theory that would be considered steady flow because if i went in different areas of the river within reason and i was to measure the, the speed of the water that it would be basically the same or almost the same within reason so that would be considered steady flow so if you go and you are using let's say you're you have excuse me with the cough <coughs> sorry about that but if you are uh you have hydraulics on your tractor that's on your bucket and you're going to lift up a big round bale to uh 
to to feed some cows so you put the spear into the round bale and you move your lever and your control then you move your your lever back and whatever the flow is the flow is based upon how much you open that valve and the hydraulic pump but speed but the thing is that the flow through that hydraulic system is going to be steady so if you were to look at if you would look at the velocity because the velocity of it is that it is going to um now velocity remember is speed not acceleration so the thing is that um the fluid would be traveling at the same speed through the hydraulic lines to the piston uh, throughout the whole length of that hydraulic hose and that's what you want in that particular application you want steady flow you don't (laughs) jerks and fits right now what the next thing is the exact opposite is called unsteady flow right makes sense steady and unsteady and that means the velocity differs at any two points so excuse me so if you have a, a let's take a, a, p, a length of, of pipe so if the velocity is this is different in one part of the pipe than the other part of the pipe for whatever reason we won't get into that right now that is considered unsteady flow and then there is what they call laminar flow and laminar flow is all particles flow in parallel lines so everything is flowing parallel to one another and the next the next type of flow is called turbulent flow and turbulent flow means that particles are random or chaotic it's very chaotic flow it's moving all around dancing all around almost uh, and and um let's say like you would see with a uh, tw- with a twister that it'll be going that it'll be going faster in one area moving left moving right moving up and down in god forbid right the twister they're terrible but uh so that is chaotic flow and then there's what's called probably a better um, i'll wait to, i'll wait for this explanation after this last type of flow is what's called transitional flow so transitional flow is a mixture of laminate or laminate flow or laminar flow meaning all particles are flowing in parallel lines and what's turbulent flow this chaotic flow then probably a good visual for that is you're standing and looking at a nice little stream and the water is all flowing nicely and there's a rock there and a, or there's a there's a there's a rock in the stream or there's a, a log fell in there something in there and then the water goes and spins around in a circle like an eddy like a little whirlpool over there so in essence that would be what is called transitional flow so it's a mixture of smooth flow over the rock but then when it gets to one particular point or one area of the rock the water spins around like a whirlpool so that would be transitional flow so that's a mixture of laminate and turbulent flow turbulent being chaotic or random flow so so like a, a flag blowing in a windstorm boop, boop, whipping left and right back and forth that would be that would be turbulent flow now in essence what has happened is a little aside to this that like most people i really was not i and believe me i'm no airflow expert all right so i'm i'm no i'm no uh i'm no fluid dynamics expert but what happened is that when i had my engine shop and just like you know just like you as a farmer you want to go keep moving and going to the next level and you want to keep increasing your 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 knowledge your abilities your skills and hopefully that that translates into you having a more successful business but i started to build and i was building engines and you know you you work your way into that you don't start right away where you're porting cylinder heads and doing this and doing what have you so i got you, i got to the point where i had to really start to be exposed or learn about airflow and why I need to learn about airflow is because that is in essence what makes power in an engine i mean the fuel doesn't the fuel makes the power but you have to match the fuel with the airflow so i wanted to start to study airflow because we were starting to port cylinder heads and and to get to that next level and not just have a bolt-on package to be able to modify it and get to the next level you really need to study airflow so airflow through airflow through the cylinder head airflow through the intake manifold through the exhaust port through the exhaust of through the through the header what have you but the main crux of it is the airflow through the cylinder head so to study airflow through a cylinder head you have to buy a test instrument right so just like if you want to more measure um measure soil compaction you have to buy a penetrometer if you want to if you want to measure something with a, a bolt you need to buy either a, a caliper or, or a veneer or a, or a, or a, a, a 
I'm not a microscope, uh, micrometer, what have you. All right, so you need some sort of, if you want to be a carpenter, you have to buy a ruler, right? So the thing is that but when it comes to airflow, specifically in an engine, the, the tool that you will use to measure that is called a flow bench. And what a flow bench basically does is you'd mount the part. It's predominantly meant for cylinder heads. And, well, it's cylinder heads and intake manifolds, but most of the flow work is done. You're not going to flow the engine block because there's so the thing is so you have this flow bench and it has a series of motors in it and it can either suck or push so when you are doing the intake side of the sound that you're doing a suction so you're sucking from atmosphere and the this the suction motor is is supposed to mimic in a in a static type of way versus a dynamic way the movement of the piston and then when you're flowing the exhaust that blows back blows the other way so it'd be like taking a shop vac and reversing it so you could push and pull so i got involved with i bought a superflow sf600 which at the time was a state-of-the-art flow bench and knew nothing about airflow knew nothing how to use a flow bench then started to uh, to teach myself took some classes and what have you but what was great about that, and that's why there's so many crossovers between what we do here, when I say we, because it's you and I, what we do with the show here at Idle Chatter and the Farm Machinery Digest website and the radio show, is there's so many crossovers between different different aspects, between an engine and a grain bin and an industrial oven and, and a uh, ventilation system in a, in, a, uh, in a dairy barn, because the physics really doesn't know what it's being applied to. So just like, for instance, if you were to take a, a glass of water and you were to pour it on the floor, in the kitchen, on, on the barn floor, it's going to follow the path of least resistance and go to the lowest area, right? And then if you pour that glass of water on the hood of a car, it's going to do the same thing. So the idea of, or the idea of hot going to cold is not is is not going to change because the laws of physics don't change whether we're talking about a dairy barn or talking about a drag race engine or an irrigation pump or a sprayer or what have you so the idea that i got involved with with the cylinder head program and learning how to port cylinder heads and make and that's really where my engine started to come alive is that when i uh made big strides there once i started to understand airflow and work with airflow and the thing basically is is that when you work with airflow and i never truly got to that point i'm not going to say that i did but you get to start to see the air and you say that's crazy how can you see the air well we're not putting any smoke through it but you could you could look at a port or you could look at something and you have a pretty good in a pretty good idea of the way that that air is going to flow in this particular instance to an intake port or an exhaust port of a cylinder head but the same thing is going to happen with you on the farm so if you're so when you look at your equipment or you look at your sprayer or you look at your, your barn and you have a ventilation system or you have a uh, your heating system in your house or your shop or what have you you're going to be able to start to see which way the air is going to flow and, and probably 90 percent of the time you'll be very very close to being accurate with that but there's always sometimes that <clears throat> something happens that kind of kicks you and you don't and you don't realize that uh, because it, it responds a little bit differently than you would tend to think so in a cylinder head laminar flow which is all particles are flowing in parallel lines was critical because when you're flowing through the intake port of a cylinder and exhaust port also but exhaust port is a little bit different because you have the dynamics of the piston pushing the air out in what's called the pumping loop and you have the the thermal change and the hot wanting to go to cold but specifically on the intake port is that what you want is laminar flow and what that would be is that flow that is using the complete area of the port and you say well it's have to do with farming well just bear with me the complete area of the port and if it uses the complete area of the port then you're going to have the best flow rate in cfm cubic feet of air per minute now inside if you were to look inside an intake port as the intake port comes in and then it makes a turn as it goes to where the valve is and then the, the tightest radius is called the short turn and it's a combination <clears throat> of speed and being able to direct the air to use 
the complete area of that short turn. So if you don't use the complete area of that short turn, then the air is actually going to skid and the the port is going to act as as being dimensionally smaller than it is, and they call that an airflow shear. So if you can't have the port, so if the air doesn't follow that short turn, so think of it as a car going down the road or a pickup truck, right? So you're going down the road, and there's a turn in the road. And if you could follow that whole turn without skidding off to the side of the road or losing any speed, then you are laminar in your flow. And it's very important because as you start to look at different things on your farm, whether it's a hydraulic system on a tractor. Now, granted, I'm not saying that you're designing this, but you're going to be looking at these things and under have a basic understanding to help diagnose a problem. And what I also found with working with cylinder heads and on the flow bench is that now let me back up a minute the way you the way airflow is registered on the flow bench is through a manometer and then you did an equation with the manometer to get cfm of airflow but what you learn very quickly is that the port will talk to you so if you had a port that was flowing very well and it had a laminar flow, so it was, it was using the complete area, it was not chaotic, it was not transitional where it's laminate and swirling around. But once the port is no longer laminate, it's going, and you'll hear it talking to you, just like you'll have a hydraulic system talk to you when it is... Uh, starting to cavitate because basically in essence when it's cavitating it's going to be transitional flow it's going to be a mixture of laminate and turbulent flow so it does that's what so it's going to talk to you so the thing basically is is that what you want to do just like a a, an experienced farmer will be able to look at that picket fence stand and i'm going to use corn because that's the crop we raise and say look at look at all of the ears are are more or less on the same the same height on the stalk so meaning that we had early emergence and not early emergence even emergence is what i'm trying to say so you pick up all that stuff so the thing basically in essence is that when there is some turbulent flow or transitional flow, then this, the port is going to talk to you. And if the system is not designed correctly, it's going to be very loud. Now, the same thing happens is that, for instance, let's say, you, and I'm going to divest, right, and go into a central air conditioning system, right, only because it's a great example. If you put central air conditioning in your house, in your farm shop, in your office, or what have you, is that a well-designed duct work, so duct work that is well-designed and has the proper air intake and has the proper flow characteristics will be very quiet. Now, we've all experienced some air conditioning systems or some heating systems. If you have hot air heat, it's going to be the same thing, where it's very, very noisy. Well, when it's very, very noisy, that's an indication that under fluid dynamics is that the flow is not laminar. So when we put the central air in my house, when we built our house, my friend Tony, who is a customer of mine, he's a great guy, and he's going to actually be on the on the road podcast because he's a, a real good, real passionate car guy, he's road race guy. So anyway, Corvette road race guy. But uh, the thing is that he went through a lot of trouble to design the ducks and also what well they call it the return. Uh, on the air on the air exchange to the ducts and the size of the actually my my return is the size of what would be for a small office building so the thing is that and he said to me ray what are you going to do by doing this it's going to cost you a little bit more money he says but when this thing runs you're not going to hear any airflow any airflow through it so the reason why i'm talking to you about this is that number one is that in your farm shop, in your dairy barn, and whatever it basically is, is that you need to learn to pay attention because of fluid dynamics. So let's just talk about air movement right now. So the thing is that if you have all of a sudden you find out that <clears throat> your air conditioner, your ventilation system in your dairy barn, and usually that's just a series of fans, but 
it gets to be louder than it normally is. Well, that's an indication that you have a problem somewhere. So if you go into the dairy barn, if you go, if you have free, uh, if you have a cage-free poultry, and all of a sudden you say, geez, you know, I could hear that air movement more than I normally do for the condition that I have, then that's for you to stop and look around and say something is wrong. Is something blocked? Is one of the shutters not opening completely? What's going on? So that's, that's what I want you to keep in mind. The other thing basically also is that when you're investing in something, if you're investing in a, a, a grain bin, you, you grain dryer, you're investing in a, uh, you're in a dairy business, you're investing in a milking parlor, all right, you want to pay attention. So if they, if they come and they take you <clears throat> over to, uh, to Joe Blow's farm and say, well, here it is, look at his, you know, you know, look at his milking parlor, this is what we could do for you, is that, and you're going to go and do your due diligence and go to three or four different places, you want to pay attention to the sound of that milk being, go, being put through that pipeline. You want to be, uh, whatever piping there is, I mean, it's not a pipeline going to Alaska, but whatever piping there is, if it's a ventilation system, you want to pay attention to it because those efficiencies are going to pay dividends in your farm operation. As I always say, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. But if you happen to have a very noisy system, now it could be noisy for other reasons, it's usually not a well-designed system or it's not let me put it this way there's a lot of dynamics to it the system may be well designed it's not designed well for your application so for instance somebody getting back to the air conditioning the central air in my house somebody else could have put that air conditioner in and not given the design details to the fluid dynamics of the airflow through the ducts and then my air conditioner would be noisy versus being very quiet and the same but more importantly i want you to recognize that with your now remember airflow i mean you're running a compressor in your shop for compressed air and you're doing piping in your shop this all comes into play because it all goes under the guise of fluid dynamics so it's not just something that i that i'm that i'm talking about pie in the sky here so what difference does it make then the same thing is going to happen with your equipment so if you have a hydraulic system and if you have let's say uh, we're, in, we're in harvest now you have a combine and it runs off of so much hydraulics right hydraulic motors hydraulic everything is hydraulic and you hear a change in hydraulic sound well well obviously that's not a, you didn't change the design but something is going on so remember that with, when it comes to when it, <clears throat> when it comes to fluid dynamics whether it's an air a gaseous state like like air or if it's a liquid when it's it will talk to you and it's going to talk to you just like my voice is a lousy gravelly voice with my throat it's going to talk to you and it's going to tell you that things are good or things are a problem but it's very important for you to recognize the sound of that from previous experience you could say hey it never sounded that way before and that's going to be a good indicator of something going wrong now there's another term that i want to introduce to you and it's and it's it's pronounced enthalpy enthalpy e so the way you pronounce it phonetically is enthalpy and that is the total energy content of a system now keep in mind is that if you're doing a plumbing system you're doing a, a watering in a barn you're you're, re, you're replumbing a, a a sprayer you're doing your irrigation let's say you have a center pivot that the total energy in that system is going to be very very important and you have to, and when you're dealing with fluid dynamics you have to realize that a that a gas or a liquid bows under the same the same laws i'll say it does not like to make turns so there's frictional flow losses when it makes a turn and this and yes in life we have to make turns you can't have a straight run of pipe or tubing for everything it has to make a turn so the thing is that but keep in mind 
is that it does not like to make turns. And just as I was saying with the cylinder head, with the short turn, is that in the cylinder head intake port, is that if you, when you're making a turn, is that lots of times at the turn, if the turn is too tight, then you will have transitional flow, which remember that's laminate flow where all the particles are going, go, <coughs> going, um, <coughs> excuse me um going on the same plane and using the whole the whole vessel we'll say whether it's a piece of pipe whether it's a connection whether it's a hydraulic pump or what have you and then you'll have some transitional flow where because because the turn is too tight or the pipe is too small for that turn is that you'll have some chaotic flow and some laminar flow so then it won't be in parallel lines so keep that in mind that's very very common and so if you're looking to invest in a sprayer if you're looking to and you know specifically and look the and i'm going to get to the design characteristics in a minute so so you could probably bring this around to you but you're looking at anything that's going to fall under the guise of fluid dynamics and like i said most of the things on the farm are going to fall a lot of things are going to fall into the guise of fluid dynamics so the way a spray tip works on a on a field sprayer is going to work under the under the guise of fluid dynamics but if you're looking to invest in a piece of equipment and you're looking to do something like that a sprayer or uh, making an investment in your barn or what have you is that i want you i'm going to repeat again i want you to listen to it because just like if you were to buy and i like to teach this with making making this analogy to an electric drill you could go buy a cheap electric drill for nineteen dollars all right from china and there's a turn to drill but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deny it turns the drill but you plug it into the wall you press the you press the trigger and it just sounds so rough and so so um just coarse and what have you and yes does the drill bit turn can you drill a hole with it yes it is and you are going to drill a hole with it. so if you're going to drill two or three holes a year you may say well that 19 dollar drill is good enough because i don't i don't use it much now if you were going to if you were going to be using a drill all day long or a number of times a week then what you would find is that that 19 dollar drill because of its coarseness and why is it coarse because it doesn't have could have bearings in it probably has bushings in it it has a lot of tolerance in it the armature or the gear train is is flopping up and down and making noise the gear the way the gears are cut well that's going to impact its reliability well the same thing is going to and it's probably going to take more amperage to run that drill for the amount of work it's going to do well the same thing comes into play when you're dealing with fluid dynamics you want to have a system so you make let's say arguably you have sprayer brand a and you have sprayer brand b and there's a ten thousand dollar differential between brand a and brand b the thing is and they both have the same pump let's say they have a hypro pump on them and they both have the same part number pump the pick that hypro came into mind but the thing is that the way it is piped the size of the pipes the size of the fittings the the internal uh characteristics is there a lot of flash it is all going to impact the fluid dynamics of that system and whether it has a laminar flow all right or transitional flow and what you will find specifically like with a big sprayer is that you may find and, I'm, and and if anybody from a sprayer company is listening to this no disrespect what have you all right but the thing is that you may find if you have a a, a 30 foot boom sprayer and you then you have a 100 foot boom or 120 foot boom sprayer is that you want to try to have that piping and all those connections designed so that you have steady flow and remember the definition of steady flow was that the velocity is constant at any point so if you were to measure the velocity of the spray product going through the the boom 10 feet away from the sprayer versus 90 feet away from the sprayer is the velocity should be the same if it is not the same what is going to happen is that we're almost the same you're going to have a difference in the discharge from the tips that are further away from the spray tank 
Now, most, almost every spray company does a very good job at this, and I'm not going to deny that, right? But what, what could happen, though, is that when the sprayer gets serviced or you buy a used sprayer, somebody could have changed a couple of the fittings. They could have changed the size of the line, what have you. I'm just, I'm just, look, I, I can't go through everything here. So this is going to happen with a sprayer. This is what's going to happen with a combine. This is what's going to happen with a milking parlor. But you get the idea of it. So one of the things that I want you to listen for and you know, and you're gonna think that I'm nuts, but if you buy a mechanics, a mechanics stethoscope, they're about sixteen, seventeen dollars. They look like a doctor's stethoscope. If you buy a mechanics stethoscope, and you'll go out there and with the equipment you have now, you know, run the sprayer with water in it and go and listen to put the stethoscope to the lines listen to your hydraulic system listen to your air conditioner system in your shop or in your house listen to your to your the milk your in your milking parlor or milk transfer whatever you have in your dairy barn listen to it and listen to it in different areas of that of what they would call the run right the distance that it's traveling and yes i'm not going to say that you're never going to have a slightly different sound but if you listen to it and you hear and you hear that okay it's here over here and then you go to the end 50 feet away and then you know that what you're having is you're experiencing some turbulent or probably most likely transitional flow there and that's going to be an indicator of a problem so it's very very important to listen to 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 fluid dynamic systems remember air and fuel so that fuel air and liquid excuse me so i mean you think i'm crazy but you'd be surprised the next time you know, do do me a favor you may even have on your toolbox start to listen to your things with the start to listen to your equipment with that stethoscope the air the fluid dynamics part of your system of, of the equipment and you'll be surprised what you will hear and the things that so my attitude is that and like i say then again you'll think i'm nuts but the fact is that so you're gonna buy a sprayer with 250 300 400 500 dollars whatever it is right you're gonna buy this and the thing is that you know then i would say to the guy okay fine let's let's put water in it let's put 100 gallons of water and let's put the spray boom down and come with just come with just a stethoscope and listen to it all right listen to it and then uh and specifically what's going to happen with pulse with modulated sprayers because you have to remember you're shutting that spray on and off and historically they're not shutting it on and off on each tip like a fuel inject would be they're shutting it off on a run some of them may shut it off by by each tip i don't know that for a fact but if you're shutting it off on a run because you have to realize every time you bang that that solenoid closed is that you're going to have a pressure spike in that system and then when you open it there's going to be a pressure drop so lots of times what they'll do is they'll put and you'll see this if you look at the engine on your car or if you look at your air conditioner system i'm going to say look at on your pickup truck your car that lots of times there's in the line you see that there's a like a, a, a can molded into a line or a, or a cylinder molded into the line and that's acts like an accumulator and it dampens that that shock from going on and off on and off because you to to, to to lessen that pressure spike so and then the pressure drop when the system opens and that's why on fuel injection is that today they run what they call on engines they run sequential fuel injection whereas the early fuel injection system had all the injectors spraying at the same time regardless of where the valve was and there was a half a shot so a half a shot and a half a shot so by the time that valve opened it had two shots of fuel which was which was what it needed but what happened is that they when they started to make more power and we found this out in the racing community is that you had a larger injector like having a larger tip that's going to it's 50 gallons per acre instead of 20 gallons per acre on your sprayer well what's going to happen 
is that when all of those those injectors opened at the same time, there was great fluctuations in the pressure in the fuel rail, and it went and it was no more a solid mass of fuel. So it went from steady flow to un to unsteady flow, and then the fuel rail had to charge again. Granted, this happened very quickly within a, a split second, but you if you put a pressure gauge on you, you'd see it. And the same thing. So I just want you to be aware of this all right so i want you to be aware of it is that as we start to close before i get to the last part of this is that i'm going to recap very quickly fluid dynamics or fluid in engineering in physics is it could either be a liquid or a gas a gas meaning in a rarefied form all right um we have this steady flow which is the velocity is constant through at any point through the system you have unsteady flow where the velocity is different at, at two points there is laminar flow which is what you want all particles flow in parallel lines you that there's turbulent flow means particles are random or chaotic like a flag whipping in a windstorm left right all over the place that's chaotic there's transitional flow which is a mixture of laminate and turbulent flow think of a stream that's flowing nicely but there's a rock there and by the rock the water is spinning around like a whirlpool so that's the turbulent flow flow both and in in the study of fluid dynamics flow will talk to you so we go that then we used to say when i was this the port is talking to me then i knew that there was a lot of shear there was a lot of separation so it went from unlamp from it went from uh laminar flow to turbulent flow so use that as a as when you're buying something you're buying a piece of used equipment you're buying a used sprayer you're buying something like that all right listen to it because if there's something wrong with it the port is going to start to talk to you use your stethoscope to listen to it i'm gonna clear my throat excuse me <coughs> use your stethoscope to listen to it all right keep in mind as i said air you you run you have you have a, a a hog building you have poultry you have a dairy barn you have what have you the thing basically is, is that you have a grain bin same thing all of this comes into play you have a grain bin with a grain dryer and you're moving that air through that grain dryer and removing that humidity and what have you is that all flow falls under the I, the the guise of fluid dynamics which is a sub-discipline of fluid mechanics very very important so a better design grain bin we talk about even flow but you will have a steady flow through there that you will have the velocity of the air will be more or less the same i'm going to just take a drink of water <coughs> excuse me i hate doing that to you but from having unsteady flow through my throat here so now to move on as we get ready to close is that there is a there is a, a i'll call it a discipline called cfd computational fluid dynamics and what comp- computational fluid dynamics is that is how a system is designed so it's the theory of how so it takes all these mathematical equations it takes everything into account and if you were to look even at a sprayer tip so if you're if you so if you have a so if you look at a a a, a, a video of a sprayer tip lots of times you see the sprayer the spray is conical then it kicks a little bit conical kicks a little bit kind of kicks a little bit all right well that's going from from steady and laminar flow laminar flow that's using the whole orifice of that of that spray that spray tip and it's and it's not using so it's going it's going almost to a turbulent flow there and if you put an adjuvant in which is a is a uh, surface tension of the fluid reducer is that you see lots of times is that the flow from that sprayer tip is going to be much more constant not have that little kick in it every once in a while so that still works on the fluid dynamics but how is all of this stuff designed it's designed under a discipline called computational fluid dynamics which is abbreviated cfd and through mathematical equations and through computer simulation is that they will go and they will design a fluid system remember fluid air i mean gaseous 
or liquid. They will design a fluid system and apply all this and be able to simulate how, in theory, this system will respond. So it just like for you to get a, a um, picket fence stand of corn in your field takes a, takes more attention to detail. I'm not going to say effort, but more attention to detail, both through computation, through CFD computational fluid dynamics, all right, is that uh, the more work they put into, the more fine-tuning they do it, that the more... the the more steady state flow you're going to have, the more laminar the flow is going to be. If it's, or it's not going to be chaotic, it's not going to be tra- transitional. And that is all going to be time that is spent in the design. So keep in mind is that if you are going to put, you're building a new barn, you're building a new machinery shed, you're putting air conditioning in there, you're putting a heating system in there. Most machinery sheds have hot, uh, they, well, you, you have a uh, forced hot air, uh, some have radiant heat, what have you. But the fact of the matter is, is that the time that the person spends designing that, all right, and is going to be paramount to the performance of it, all right, it's efficacy. You say, man, I got this uh, this system, the thing is running, it doesn't really get that cool here, or there's not good air movement, that this part of the building is cold, or this part of the building is hot, or what have you. All right, so a dairy a ventilation system in a barn, a ventilation system in a greenhouse, in a grain bin, for, for instance, like on a combine even, if you have an, an air reel or you have an air bar system on your combine, that's all going to be, in theory, designed through CFD, all right, through computational fluid dynamics. And, what, and a, a well-designed system is going to recognize the characteristics of the airflow, what's happening with the airflow and how it responds under certain conditions so it's not just like you say okay i'm hot hey taking a box fan and moving it someplace and and the thing is you really do that even with a box fan and and as i get ready to close this you could go look at 10 different brands of fans or 10 different types of fans just a box fan a cheap fan and some of them are noisier than others and the noisy ones they both could they they all could have the same amount of cfm but the noisy ones are going to have unlaminar flow so through the grading it's going to be causing all these eddy currents and that's why the fan is very noisy if you look at like a torque converter on a on a on a vehicle on a piece of farm equipment all right a lot of tractors have torque converters sprayers could have a torque converter like an apache runs a direct drive system all right like an automotive type of system has a torque converter the dynamics of how those those that stator and that turbine work in that torque converter is actually a discipline of hydrodynamics remember we were talking about so it's a diff it's, so it's a discipline of fluid dynamics and hydrodynamics so all of this comes into play so as we get ready to move into the toolbox test and i hopefully didn't bore you with this the take-home message is that listen to your systems your fluid dynamic systems airflow or liquid flow i don't care what it is hydraulic system pumping pumping out of a out of a of a bulk tank into a sprayer uh a nurse tank going to a big sprayer what have you you have a uh you have a big air seater with an air cart behind it all right that's all going to work on the fluid dynamics so it's going to be the same thing so you so you'll be familiar with that pay attention to it because when you're buying it the quieter the system is going to be is going to be an indicator of of the of the efficacy of that fluid dynamic design and it then as you own it all right it's going to be an indicator of something going wrong so be mindful of that and that is why i wanted to represent this to you and because you are hot rod farmers and that you want to learn and you want to take your your business and your personal knowledge to a higher level like derek right from from hutchinson kansas who wants to learn and apply things from the idle chatter podcast to the farm he works on his own operation that knowledge is never lost and the thing basically is for you to have a basic understanding of something is going to be paramount paramount to your success and you will be surprised 
how you will uh, how you will apply these things and these technologies to something that has nothing to do with engines or machinery. So, without any further ado, we're going to bring in Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records. Come on in, Tex. All right, Tex, thank you so much. Are you ready with the toolbox test? We got no fluid dynamics in this test, I don't think. Let's see. All righty. You were able to catch a high in the market, and you sold all of last year's crop at a strong price. You will take some of that profit and buy a new pickup truck that the farm needs. You were thinking about getting a diesel-powered one due to the fuel economy over gas. You do not know why diesel engines use less fuel, so you bring it up the next morning at the cafe. Oh, brother. Right, that's the worst place. (laughs) Bring something up. Which farmer is correct? Farmer A is well convinced that because of the turbocharger, the fuel economy of a diesel is better than, than a gas engine. Farmer B tells him that is not correct. He says that the that diesel fuel has more BTU of energy than gasoline, and the higher compression ratio is the reason. Farmer C claims that the diesel fuel evaporates slower and does not lose power to the air, and Farmer D tells you is because of a better transmission in a diesel truck than in a gasoline truck. All right, so that is that. And then what I'm going to do is that we're going to have our special delivery letter. But the special delivery letter is not going to be an answer to one person. Over the past few months, I had a number of people reach out and contact me about having a problem with an older engine, let's say a carburetor engine, let's say an old pickup truck, or predominantly they usually grain trucks or a piece of farm equipment, let's say like a lawn tractor or something that they don't use all the time. And the, pro- and the issue that they're having is that after it sits for a while, that the engine is hard to start and that the carburetor is running out of fuel. So the thing is that I wanted to address that and how to get that started easily. Well, you have to remember that every carburetor, whether it's a chainsaw or whether it's a, um, a old grain truck or whatever it may be, right? there's no new vehicles with carburetors or a brand new lawn tractor with a carburetor or a seed tender with a small engine on it. But the, the way a carburetor works is that the bowl vent of the carburetor is exposed to atmosphere. And the carburetor, the engine running, creates air movement, which creates vacuum. And a vacuum is anything less than atmospheric pressure. And then the venturi in the carburetor, which is fluid dynamics. We didn't discuss that, but we discussed fluid dynamics. And the Bernoulli effect excuse me, the Venturi in the carburetor speeds up the airflow and creates a, a, a differential, which they call a depression. So that's how my how a flow bench works. It creates a depression. And a depression is anything less than atmosphere. We can't alter atmospheric pressure, but we can alter the amount of deviation from atmospheric pressure. So the, the more that the deviation is, then we would say we have higher vacuum. So this depression that is created by the airflow, the fluid dynamics through the Venturi of the carburetor lots of times there's an additional ring in there which is called a booster venturi which boosts these the um depression makes it lower and the and the and the combination of the low pressure region and the atmospheric pressure on the float the fuel in the float ball pushes the gasoline through the carburetor People say that it pulls the fuel, and it's really a push-pull because you have the low-pressure region and the high-pressure region. So, in essence, the bowl is always exposed to atmospheric pressure. Now, what's going to happen is that it is possible for the carburetor to leak internally and for the gasoline to leak out. I'm not going to say that it is impossible but most of the time, what needs to be recognized is that modern gasoline, which is what they call reformulated gas, RFG, whether it has ethanol in it or not, this reformulated gasoline has a higher rate of, of evaporation 
than older gasoline from years back. And you have to realize is that, uh, as an aside, it didn't go from you know old gasoline from the gasoline in 1950 was different than it was in the 1960s and 1970s and the 1980s. It wasn't just like we had this gasoline for 50 or 60 years and all of a sudden it became reformulated, had ethanol in it. It was transitional and to meet a different mission standards and what have you. But the take-home message here, the most important thing is that modern fuel, and I say modern the last 25 years or so, modern fuel is designed to to work best under pressure, which is in a closed system, which is an electronic fuel injection system. So now the fuel is designed to be backward compatible. And the proof of it being is that there's zillions of carbureted engines that are running. We go buy a new lawn tractor, it's carbureted. All right, well, I know that there are some fuel injected ones, so uh, I, I won't fall in that trap again. But anyway, for, so anything that's new with a carburetor, so the, but what will happen is that the gasoline is going to evaporate much quicker than it would have would it, than it would be it, or it can't evaporate in a closed system like fuel injection so the idea that the bowl vent is there and exposing it to atmosphere is going to have it evaporate and also when you shut the engine off and it's very hot under the hood there's going to be a higher rate of evaporation so that is very very common and i'm assuming that the carburetor the needle valve is not leaking the choke is working that the fuel bowl is just evaporating out so these people have said should they use starting fluid and what have you i don't particularly like stuff well you have two choices number one you can either crank the engine until it gets full of the carburetor ball gets filled with fuel or you could put some sort of artificial accelerant in it to start it like a starting fluid but i particularly don't like a starting fluid my contention is that if that if you have to crank in more than five or six seconds and that's pretty long so i'm going to look at my watch over here so i'm going to wait and do crank and make artificial cranking sounds there was six seconds it's not like a crisis starter right that's six seconds that's quite a long time so if you can't fill that float ball in less than six seconds of cranking then that carburetor probably has some other problem in it and probably has a leak the amount of evaporation that would happen in a week or so's time or two weeks or three weeks time is not going to be that great that if it has a good fuel delivery system that you can't fill it in five or six seconds of cranking and you really don't want to crank more than that because you'll end up damaging breaking the nose off the starter but anyway what i like to do in those applications is i buy i keep a can of spray carburetor cleaner i take the lid off the air air cleaner i go with the carburetor cleanup put the lid back on get inside whatever it is the track whatever it may be even with an updraft carburetor you'll be surprised it's going to work because it's going to vaporize and then it starts right up and then after that you will have no problem ether is very hard on an engine and carburetor cleaner is inexpensive it's safe it's cheap and it'll keep your carburetor clean but what's most likely happening in all those instances is that you have the evaporation of the fuel because the modern gasoline is is not designed to be to to i would say flash off or evaporate off uh, as slowly in an open that's um, that's not a good way of me saying basically the modern gasoline is designed for the for a closed fuel system that's under pressure and closed and not an open fuel system so its rate of evaporation is higher than the old fuel of years ago all right if you have any questions on that please feel free to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com so we're going to close out now and farmer b is correct right why is a diesel engine more fuel efficient to excuse me two things make a diesel engine more fuel efficient diesel fuel has more btu of energy per gallon than gas than regular gasoline approximately 134,000 btu and 117,000 btu respectively so diesel has around 134,000 btu per gallon and regular unleaded gasoline has about 117,000 btu also the higher compression ratio of a diesel engine makes the engine more thermally efficient 
So there's more chemical energy is converted to mechanical energy at the crankshaft. The higher compression ratio on any engine, regardless of the fuel, has a positive impact on fuel efficiency. So listen, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. And I want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you, the American farmer and rancher, my beloved, beloved America. May you have a blessed, blessed day. And may our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you and your family safe. And may everything be great until next week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.